Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes ever since. When a first responder or military service member doesn't come home and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays the mortgage on the family home to lift the financial burden. For severely injured veterans and first responders, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes, enabling severely injured heroes to move around their homes more independently. Through the Foundation's Homeless Veteran Program, Tunnel to Towers is providing housing and services to homeless veterans. More than 3,300 were helped last year alone. Because all veterans who honorably served, whether in peacetime or war, deserve our nation's gratitude. People who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of this country's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Voters in a number of key states took to the polls yesterday to choose candidates to face off in November. The outcomes are going to have a major impact on the general election and the GOP's chances of tipping the balance of power in their favor. We'll take a look at the winners and losers from yesterday's races and what it means moving forward in tonight's Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. Big primary day. Some very important races determined on the GOP side that will obviously have major implications for how we're going to do going into the midterm elections. Um, Let's start with one that is, well, just the state of Arizona overall. And you got to put this in the context of Biden won this thing last time around? Really? A lot of people were questioning that one, big time. And there were concerns about voter integrity, as we know. There's been a lot of back and forth over that issue. Arizona should be and is a red state if everything goes according to the way it's supposed to, and we need good candidates to make sure that happens. Well, let's start with the gubernatorial race there. The Arizona GOP gubernatorial race is, I believe, as I go to air right now, still not, is it formally decided, guys? Because it wasn't, not yet, right? Okay. 
Carrie Lake is at 46% over Corinne Taylor Robson at 44%. This is not formally called yet. Now, Carrie Lake, whom I know and have interviewed numerous times on radio, uh, she has already declared that she's going to win. She says there is no viable path for her opponent. Now, this is interesting because Carrie Lake is a Trump-backed candidate, a very MAGA, very hawkish on the border candidate. She spent years and years doing uh, media in Arizona as a news anchor, so she understands how to deal with the lib media. And she's a name that's already getting some national level recognition. But obviously statewide, Corinne Taylor Robson did pretty well. So we'll see how this one shakes out. But if it is Carrie Lake, that would be, as with the Trump endorsement behind her, she'll be formidable going into the governor's general election. Now, there is a declared winner in the Arizona Senate GOP primary. In this case, you had three solid candidates. Honestly, you had, you had a good group here. Um, Mark Burnovich, who we've had on this show, he's the attorney general of the state of Arizona and, and a, a smart guy, a competent guy, strong on the border. Jim, La Jim Lehman, big business guy, has done very well for himself, uh, self-made, multi-multi-millionaire, competent fellow as well. But Blake Masters, the youngest of the bunch, political newcomer, formerly a part of Peter Thiel's Thiel Capital. So he's a venture capitalist, young guy, and 39% convincing victory for Blake Masters in that Senate GOP primary. Uh, Blake Masters had this to say about a watch. But it's decisive at this point. We did it. Arizona, Arizona has sent a message loud and clear. We are sick of Joe Biden and the Democrats destroying our country. And pretty soon, we're going to send a brand new senator to Washington, D.C. to clean their mess up. There you go. Now he is up against former astronaut and sitting U.S. Senator Mark Kelly in that race. Not going to be an easy one. But so far, a lot of momentum behind Blake Masters to win that seat for the GOP in a critical, a critical swing from the D to R column in the Senate. If we're going to have Senate control after this midterm election, Arizona is completely essential to the pathway there. Arizona, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Georgia, those are the critical races. Blake Master is going to be a strong candidate. Now up in Michigan, where the current governor, Gretchen Whitmer, has done everything possible to make the residents of her state miserable, among the worst governors with her lockdown totalitarianism during COVID, there are now some, well, there is a Republican who has emerged as not only the winner, but the one who is taking on Whitmer. Tudor Dixon with 41% beat Kevin Rinke and Car uh, Garrett Saldano. Again, convincing here. Uh, Tudor has a background in steel. Uh, she is a breast cancer survivor, mother of four. And she was the Trump-endorsed candidate in this race. Substantial MAGA energy behind her. Actually, I interviewed her recently, and she makes all, she says all the right things uh, when it comes to what should be done in her state, how COVID should be handled, how to get business up and running again. So, Tudor Dixon, cool name, 
and I think a very serious contender. It's tough in Michigan because you got to get past Detroit, which is such a huge center of political gravity. So many votes in that one city for the Democrat, Whitmer. But Witless Whitmer, she's got to go, folks. I mean, we got to do everything we can to replace her in that role, just for the, for the benefit even of the libs in the state of Michigan. They'd be better off, too. They just don't know it. Missouri Senate GOP primary. This was an interesting one. You had the two Eric's and then Vicki Hartzler, uh, who didn't get nearly as much attention. Now, Eric Greitens, the former, uh, former governor, um, and people say he's really kind of a former Democrat, too, uh, or maybe even still in some ways. He lost Eric Schmidt, the attorney general in the state of Missouri, with a big win here. So Schmidt is a, a, a good candidate for the GOP in this one. Blake Masters, Carrie Lake, assuming she gets through. This is all really uh, positive. By the way, a sitting member of the, of the uh, GOP Congress, uh, Meyer, lost in a primary, uh, and he lost to a fellow who was not only supported by Donald Trump, but also uh, had gotten money from the Democrats. That's right. The Democrats officially were throwing money at this guy because they think he'll be easier to beat in the general election. That's in Michigan's third congressional district. So we're still watching to see how that strategy works out for the libs. And then there was a disappointing result last night. The Kansas state constitution, should it be amended, it's voted on by the uh, residents of the state of Kansas, amended to remove protections of abortion rights. No, 58%. Yes, 41%. Now, there was a lot of specificity into how this went down. First of all, in 2019, there was a court decision that Claim the 1859, that's when it came out initially, Kansas state constitution created, just like Roe v. Wade pretended that there was a constitutional at the federal level right to abortion, the Kansas state constitution had a right to abortion too, which is crazy. But that judicial decision stands for now. And so then to change anything about the abortion regime in Kansas, which is effectively a mirror image of Roe v. Wade, you have to amend the state constitution. And, and so this is a high hurdle to get beyond. And the dishonesty that was used in this, the ads they ran, the pro-abortion side was running ads about how, oh, we don't want big government to mess with your freedom. Vote no on the referendum. Didn't even mention abortion. Yeah, real dishonesty. They also had a bunch of uh, pseudo-Christians talking about how, well, God trusts women, so you should trust women too and their freedom. Vote no on the referendum. Uh, you mean let's abort a lot of babies? Oh, okay lying about it, but they were successful. It's a uh, harbinger of things to come for the pro-life movement, I think, going forward in terms of needing to fight in the political battlegrounds state by state and to use language that's clear and that works. We'll have more on all this with author and columnist David Marcus when we come back. First, I want to tell you about a great deal for my friends at My Patriot Supply. Punishing food shortages are likely coming. In Europe, farmers are protesting high fertilizer and fuel costs. They're going to cut production. American farmers will likely do the same. When farmers cut production, you get food shortages. And if you don't personally have emergency backup food to get you through the shortages, you may be forced to stand in government food lines. You don't want that. Go to preparewithbuck.com. You'll find a special offer where you'll save $150 on a three-month supply of emergency food from My Patriot Supply. Each kit has enough food for three solid months per person, providing over 2,000 calories a day to keep your energy up. These kits last up to 25 years in storage. Go to preparewithbuck.com today. Save $150 on each three-month kit you require. 
They ship free too, by the way. Food shortages could be coming soon. No doubt about it. Go to preparewithbuck.com. That's preparewithbuck.com. We'll be right back. President Trump loomed large during yesterday's primaries, but arguably the biggest surprise of the night came in the state of Kansas, where voters overwhelmingly rejected a ballot measure that would have allowed the state government to tighten restrictions on abortion. As we reported in the last segment, Kansas rejected the measure by a vote of 58% to 41%, a wide margin for a state that hasn't gone for a Democratic presidential candidate since Lyndon Johnson in 1964. So what does the setback mean for the pro-life movement, not just in Kansas, but nationwide? Here to give his perspective, author and columnist, David Marcus. David, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. What happened in Kansas? I think a few things happened in Kansas. I think it was a very strangely worded referendum. It was like a paragraph long and and kind of confusing. I think voters weren't entirely clear exactly what they were voting on. I also think more broadly that um, the pro-life movement, having just won, won this massive victory uh, in Roe v. Wade or overturning Roe v. Wade, now needs to change um, its perspective away from the legal fight and to the political fight. That's going to take a little time, right? That, that's a major gear shift. Um, so, look, I think this was a setback. I, I don't think it's a huge setback. Um, any major takeaways from any of the other primaries that we saw? You know, obviously, Arizona, Michigan, a bunch of uh, Missouri, a bunch of big races. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, my takeaways from yesterday were my takeaways from basically this entire primary season, which is almost over. This is a new Republican Party. For 30 years before Trump, Republican politicians said to their voters, I'm very smart, I'm very competent, send me to Washington and I'll do what I know is best for you, like like Mitt Romney. Trump said, you send me to Washington and, and I'll do what you think is best, right? on the border, on trade, on energy independence, on fighting the culture wars, all of these issues that Republican politicians had been ignoring. Uh, and Republican voters gave Trump, Trump a chance. He did it, and that's the new standard. The candidates who say, I'm gonna go do what I think is best are losing. The candidates who say, I'm gonna do what you think is best are winning. And just to put a fine point on it, I saw this poll today, when Trump secured the nomination in 2016, just under 50% of Republicans had a favorable view of the GOP. That's up to 75, and this is why. Wow, that's an amazing statistic, actually. Um, I, I did want to ask you if you think that uh, the, the Republican who just won, and she's got a really cool name, but I keep on forgetting. Uh, I actually just interviewed her earlier today, so... Um, uh, what Tudor Dixon? Thank you, thank you, guys. Tudor Dixon. You think she's got a shot against Gretchen Whitmer? Because for for guys that are still steamed about the lockdowns, like you and me, Gretchen Whitmer was among the very worst. I mean, she is the person who, as governor, banned residents of her state by fiat from going from one property they own to another property they own because COVID. Yeah, I, I, I do think Tudor Dixon had a, has a chance. I had the opportunity to be on a panel with her, um, I guess about a year ago. Uh, she's very impressive. She really knows the issues. Uh, she, very, she very clearly cares about her state. So I do think she has a chance. And I think you make the key point. And I want to bring in the New York gubernatorial race as well, where you have Congressman Lee Zeldin running against Kathy Hochul, who was, you know, Cuomo's puppet and, and, and is now the 
running to, to maintain the seat that, that she took from him. I think in both these races, nationally, Republicans need to be putting a spotlight on it and saying that Michigan's COVID policies and New York's COVID policies need to be rejected electorally. I don't think either of these races are getting enough attention, and I'd like to see the national media and the National Republican Party put a much bigger spotlight on them. Also wondering if trans issues, uh, the trans agenda, is going to play a role in the 2020 midterms, more in the general than what we've seen uh, so far in the primaries. And for example, David, a really important Senate race is going on between John Fetterman and Dr. Oz, right? Dr. Oz of TV fame. Here is that, that Democrat candidate, uh, Fetterman, I think he's lieutenant governor right now, saying that men should be able to play on women's sports teams. Watch. Do you believe transgender women should be allowed to play on women's sports teams at the youth, youth through college level? Yes. I don't know how that's going to play in Pennsylvania with folks who <clears throat> live in the uh, sort of extended Rust Belt and out west and around Pittsburgh, etc. Man, I don't know how it's going to play in South Philly. I mean, you know, forget about that. Um, Democrats have painted themselves into a real corner here because the, the obvious natural answer for a moderate to that question is, you know, this is relatively new. We have to listen to science. We'll have to study it. Fetterman can't say that because unless you say women are men, men are women, and of course they should be able to play in whatever sports they want, you are committing an act of violence. That is the position of the Democratic Party. And I, you can't have a conversation with it. There's nothing you can do with it. So look, is that going to sway a lot of voters in, in, in Pennsylvania? I don't know if it is or it isn't. But even beyond this election, this is a problem for Democrats because they have nowhere to go on this issue unless they admit that all of their claims about if you question it at all, you're a bigot were false to begin with, which obviously they were. Here's Governor Ron DeSantis speaking about the trans issue, but going on a bit of offense here. He says that doctors should be sued for providing children with, quote, gender-affirming care. Watch. Talk about these very young kids getting gender-affirming care. They don't tell you what that is, is they're actually giving very young girls mis double mastectomies. They want to castrate these young boys. That's wrong. And so we've stood up and said, both from the health and children well-being perspective, you know, you don't disfigure 10, 12, 13-year-old kids uh, based on gender dysphoria. 80% of it resolves anyways by the time they get older. So why would you be doing this? I think these doctors need to get sued for what's happening. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I think it's interesting to watch him uh, play offense on the issue, which is something that Ron DeSantis does on a whole range of issues. But also, every Democrat running for Senate, running for governor, should be asked about this. They should be pressed on this by their opposition in the Republican Party, but by anybody in the media who's at least claiming the pretense of journalism. Yeah, I mean, one vital thing that DeSantis did there, and this is something that I've talked about, that Chris Rufo and others have talked about, is not using their language, right? Calling it a mastectomy, calling it castration, really calling these things what they are. Um, you know, if you wanted to compromise on this, I was thinking about this today. Um, these doctors all tell us that it almost never happens that these kids reach adulthood and wish they hadn't done it. They say that's 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 so, so rare. Well, if that's true, then why don't we have these doctors carry insurance so that in those rare instances when it happens, these people have a recourse to go back and say you're going to pay for. I mean, look, there's no way to completely go back. 
but you're going to pay damages for having gotten my case wrong. You're going to, you know, pay for whatever kind of treatment I can get. Yeah, look, it's good for DeSantis to be playing off offense on this. These are real issues and we need we need to be tough. Indeed. Very strong, as Trump would say. Thanks for being with us, David. Thanks, Buck. China is preparing to launch live fire military drills in the waters around Taiwan following Nancy Pelosi's visit to the island. We'll have more on the continued fallout from that Pelosi trip with senior fellow at the America First Policy Institute, Stephen Yates, coming up. I want to talk to you about the owners of timeshares out there, especially those who are upset that their yearly dues have nearly doubled. In most cases, your timeshares will be passed from your generation to the next with fees included. It's crazy that the annual fees never stop even after you quit using your property. Well, I do have a solution for you. Get some peace of mind from my friends at Lone Star Transfer. This family-owned business has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and has over 16,000 satisfied customers. Lone Star has over 15 years of experience in the timeshare disposal business and a 99% success rate. Say goodbye to those fees. With customer service like Lone Star's, they treat you as if you are a member of their family. They'll personally make your experience a pleasant one. Lone Star Transfer guarantees the release of all liability to your timeshare in writing and in a specific time frame. Give Lone Star Transfer a call for a free no-obligation consultation, 844-284-4739. That's 844-284-4739 or online at LoneStarTransfer.com. Stephen Yates joins us next. And now more than ever, America's solidarity with Taiwan is crucial, and that is the message we are bringing here today. We will not abandon our commitment to Taiwan. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi declaring the U.S. will not abandon their commitment to, uh, to Taiwan despite ongoing pressure and saber rattling from the Chinese Communist Party. There's still no indication as to how or if China will retaliate for Pelosi's visit, but Beijing is set to begin live fire military, military drills in and around Taiwan's territorial waters in the coming days. So is there a chance of escalation? We're going to be down to break it all down. Senior fellow at the America First Policy Institute, Stephen Yates. Stephen, thanks for being here. Thank you, Buck. Great to be with you. So just what is your sense of how things are going in Pelosi plus one here, uh, one day past the visit to Taiwan that was getting so much attention? Is this essentially playing out as you'd expect, or are there any surprises? Well, I, I think this is... Uh, in my experience, the most provocative array of uh, military exercises and coercive measures I've ever seen the People's Republic deploy towards Taiwan since the founding of the People's Republic uh, to present. Uh, it exceeds what was uh, aimed Taiwan's way in the mid-1990s when they were having their first direct election for president and China landed some missiles offshore. Uh, the landing zones this time completely encircle Taiwan in, in very, very close proximity to their two major commercial ports, one in the north, one in the south. Uh, so we're in at least a very high hot season for coercive measures. Uh, so it does increase risk of miscalculation. Uh, the open question of when this will draw down, uh, but really I think it's a, a pretty important wake up call because the United States really can't afford to back away from its commitment to Taiwan. We need the semiconductors. We're overwhelmingly dependent upon Taiwan until we can come up with another path. Live fire drills, how big a deal are these? 
Well, they can interrupt commercial traffic. Uh, like I said, those two major ports are among the busiest in the world. Uh, and so that's a, a really, really significant thing if they actually have splashdowns on that when they declare those zones, uh, people are not going to willy nilly put commercial traffic through them for risk of uh, interference. So uh, it can have a direct interruption on commercial flows to the extent that it's high volume and uh, vital goods that will have an impact on Japan, Korea, the United States otherwise. Here's White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre responding to the Chinese military drills. Watch this one. Now that Taiwan is effectively encircled by the Chinese military doing these drills, does the president think that the trip was worth the trouble? Look, I already said this, and I'll just repeat it to you. There's no reason for uh, Beijing uh, to, uh, to turn this visit, uh, which is consistent with longstanding U.S. policy, uh, in, into some sort of crisis. There is no reason to do that. We have been very clear there's no change in our One China policy, which is guided by the, tai the Taiwan Relations Act of 1979. That has not changed. And so, uh, look, the United States will not seek and does not want a crisis here. But and we are prepared to manage what Beijing chooses to do. So, I mean, Stephen, it seems to me like, on, on the one hand, Pelosi does this, right? She pokes the dragon, right? That, that's what this is. She decides to go at some level, and we can, well, she's done it now, so it's obviously a done deal in that sense. And, but now they're telling us, like, well, this is no big deal. But isn't it kind of meant to be a big deal? Like, it feels like it can't be both, that Pelosi's brave for going and standing with Taiwan, but like, why is China going to react at all? It's just business as usual. Yeah, it's definite mixed messages from the White House. Uh, they completely changed their tune from prior to the visit, where they were leaking all over the place. They were trying to use the military, intelligence community, and anyone else to dissuade Speaker Pelosi from going. I think this is a very clear example of something that can and should be done, but when and how you do it can make a big difference. Uh, if Speaker Pelosi was serious about doing this and making it a priority, she could have done it early in her tenure when she was first speaker. She could have done it early in her tenure the second time around as speaker. Then it would have been a clear pattern and people could say it was normal, uh, as it should be in my view. But the fact that it got delayed, and then it got delayed onto a, the anniversary of the People's Liberation Army's founding, there always were going to be fireworks around that. And they seem to ignorantly have stumbled right into that briar patch. Here's Nancy Pelosi explaining to the people of Taiwan that the U.S. wants to help it remain a democracy. Watch this. Today, the world faces a choice between democracy and autocracy. America's determination to preserve democracy here in Taiwan and around the world remains ironclad. Okay, Stephen, I, I need... So you got the White House saying that we're still on board with the one China policy, but you got the Speaker of the House saying that our devotion to democracy with respect to Taiwan is ironclad, which is it? Well, President Biden and Speaker Pelosi have not been singing from the same song sheet for a long time. Uh, and the fact that Speaker Pelosi pushed this trip this way uh, very much is at odds with where the Biden White House was seeking to go with China. On balance, looking historically, I think Pelosi is closer to where the United States should be than Biden. The one China policy is a fantasy that is very much un-American and anti-democratic in my view. Uh, I think we should have less 
ambiguity, more clarity about the realities of this situation. China has never, ever had a government out of Beijing to govern a single day over the Taiwan people or Taiwan territory. And we shouldn't be basing American policy on that fiction. However, many presidents and previous leaders of the United States have done so, and so we need to get out of that mire. Pelosi pushed in that direction, I think in a very clunky way and in somewhat a risky way. But as I say, she was doing some of the right things, just kind of in the wrong way at the wrong time. And then back to the issue of the response from China, here's the foreign minister of the People's Republic. I mean, it's kind of funny we call it that, of course. Wang Yi gave a statement on Pelosi's visit. Under the guise of democracy, the U.S. is violating China's sovereignty. Taiwan and others ride the coattails of the United States and act against the noble cause of the Chinese nation. These perverse actions will not alter the international one China principle and Taiwan will return to the motherland, you know, yada, yada, yada. We know what they're saying there. What are they really going to do? Are they going to do anything? I mean, what, what if we decided we're going to have a Speaker of the House or some equivalent level figure visit Taiwan every six months? Well, I think that would be a wise idea, given that we are very dependent on street, some strategic goods from Taiwan. And the Taiwan government buys not an inconsequential amount of defense articles from the United States. And it's our ninth largest trading partner. Uh, so I think that would be a wise thing to do. Uh, also, I think it's time for American thought leaders, to the extent they have thought, to push back on the idea that somehow we're declaring independence or altering policy by sending legislators back and forth. I mean, that's actually kind of the job of the executive branch to do. Uh, and uh, so we just need to sort of establish a normal pattern of behavior, speak about it coherently, follow through, but back it up with real strategy. I mean, we're long past due to strategically decouple from communist China, given COVID and all of this bluster. Uh, so Pelosi, in some ways, has pushed this issue, and maybe it's time for people to step back and recalibrate. Stephen, should we move beyond the strategic ambiguity policy? Unquestionably, in my view, I think ambiguity only serves Beijing. They are unambiguous about what they intend to do, and it happens to be violent and anti-America. There we go. Stephen, always appreciate it. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you, Buck. Brittany Griner may see the light of day soon after the Biden administration offered to exchange the NBA star for a notorious Russian arms dealer. But is it a fair swap? We'll have more on that with iHeartRadio host Zen Sams coming up. First, I want to introduce you to one of my new favorite companies, Sweatblock. Sweatblock's wipes are a total game changer. I mean, do you sweat a lot, like an embarrassing amount? Maybe you sweat a lot when it's hot outside or just when you're nervous or whatever reason. Well, Sweatblock's products are doctor created and doctor recommended to stop that excessive sweating. They even have a dry shirt guarantee. If Sweatblock doesn't keep you dry, you get your money back. And the Sweatblock wipes are practical too. One use works for up to seven days. This is a must have product for your toiletry bag. They've been featured and tested on the Rachel Ray Show by actual firefighters and have been a bestseller on Amazon for the past 10 years. Try it risk-free today. Wear what you want to wear and stop worrying about sweating through your shirt. If you order through their website, you can get 20% off when you use my promo code. Go to sweatblock.com and use promo code BUCK for 20% off. Sweat less, live more. Zen Sam's up next. Stay with us.
We want to see Brittany Griner home. We want to see Paul Whalen home. They are wrongfully detained. We have been very clear about that. We put forward a substantial offer, uh, and uh, we, you know, we want to have a good faith uh, conversation on that. There was a counter offer that was made, which we don't see it as a serious uh, counter offer. But as you can see from uh, the substantial offer, as you can hear from Secretary Blinken, and as you've heard from uh, this president, we are taking this very seriously. And this is a top of mind uh, for this president, and we want to see them come. Yesterday, the White House addressed Russia's counteroffer to the Biden administration's proposed prisoner swap that would bring home American basketball star Brittany Griner and another jailed American, Paul Whelan, in exchange for a notorious arms dealer serving time in the U.S. And you're saying the deal is totally lopsided, including our next guest, iHeartRadio host Zen Sams. She joins us now to explain. Zen, good to see you. Good to see you, Buck. You don't so like this deal. You don't. For, former President Trump told me he thought this was a bad deal last week. Why do you think it's not a good deal? Well, it's a bad deal all around. But let's let's go back to last week when the Senate passed a non-binding resolution urging uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken to label Russia right as a state sponsor of terrorism. And Ukrainian President, of course, urged the U.S. to adopt the designation. Yesterday, of course, the Kremlin threatened to break off diplomatic relations with Washington if the U.S. declared Russia a sponsor of terrorism. So let's go back here. You have the Foreign Ministry um, of Russia. And they said that, and the logical reason result of, of such a step will become a break in diplomatic relations. That is their stance. They are basically saying that Washington risks finally crossing the point of no return, of course, more threats um, with all the ensuing consequences. But the Biden administration basically set it all up, Buck, and now are stuck between a rock and a hard place and entertaining this prisoner swap in this particular moment is not the wisest choice as per uh, former Trump. But Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan, let's, let's look at who they are. They're two Americans wrongfully detained in Russia um, and they the the this really indicates the lopsidedness of this prisoner swap because these two Americans a, a basketball player uh, Brittany Griner and and Whelan who's a former marine and worked as a as director of global security um, at an investigations firm, uh, Borg Warner. He was arrested in Russia back in 2018, and he was sentenced to 16 years for spying. Now, of course, he denies the charges, but the bottom line is that they are not criminals and certainly not remotely comparable to Victor Bout, who is a notorious purveyor of arms to terrorists, um, actually once known as the merchant of death. Now, Buck, Interestingly, there is a third American prisoner wrongfully detained that not many are aware of. And the US is gonna choose not to include Mark Fogel in the prisoner swap. Now, Mark is an American teacher and he's sentenced to an absurd 14 years in prison for taking marijuana into Russia. Uh, and his infractions are in fact similar to Britney's. So if Biden is in this for humanity and not in it for votes, you would think that Mr. Fogel would be included in this exchange. But nothing the Biden administration does is ever logical and for reasons the State Department has not clarified, the US government has designated Ms. Griner and Mr. Whelan as wrongfully detained, but not Mr. Fogel. So this this is not this is tipping and even tipping worse for the very cause that the Biden administration is saying they're fighting for. Top coach, by the way, for US women's pro basketball who once represented Russia at the Olympics has made a plea for Putin to release uh, Griner. It's something that obviously hits close to home for me. And so I just ask the Russian government to do the right thing. It's never too late to do the right thing. We're asking for leniency. We're asking for grace. And we're asking to bring home Griner. Um, all heartfelt, the U.S. coach Becky Hammond there urging Putin. But I don't think Putin cares very much. 
Putin doesn't care. And, you know, Buck, the issue is not whether the three American prisoners are guilty or if Griner is guilty, nor should efforts to free Americans held in repressive countries be based on their celebrity or the, the publicity generated by their arrests. But the Russian justice system, like those in China and Iran, other countries with which the United States has organized prisoner swaps with, is notoriously political. And any American imprisoned in those countries, guilty or not, is likely being held either for propaganda purposes or as uh, you know, or as a hostage to exchange for imprisoned Russians. But at the end of the day, is the United States really ready to let the merchant of death out of prison for Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan? I'm not so sure this is the right, the right approach. Still in the realm of foreign policy, but uh, switching the focus a little bit here for a moment, Zen. The Kremlin is strongly backing Beijing with respect to Pelosi's Taiwan trip. Uh, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said of Pelosi's trip that Pelosi's visit would be extremely provocative and would exacerbate the situation in the region and fuel tensions. Instead of dealing with this sensitivity with respect, the U.S. has regrettably chosen the path of confrontation. It will bring no good and we can only express regret. Now, not surprising that Russia would take this kind of a tone, but how is it looking right now in terms of the effects of the Pelosi visit versus the media coverage of it? Well, I mean, look, look, Russia is backing China, right? And they're calling Pelosi's visit to Taiwan extremely provocative. Okay, that's that's no news. But at a time when Russia finds itself incre increasingly isolated because of its of its war in Ukraine and is faced with sanctions from every corner, Buck, you have House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan uh, presenting Moscow basically an opportunity to strengthen ties with China, which is a key ally. And the Kremlin, mm, they didn't pass up the chance to comment on this. They called Pelosi's trip extremely provocative, as you said, but they added that this is going to exacerbate exacerbate the situation in the region and fuel tensions. Now, China, this is interesting, which considers um, self-ruled Taiwan part of its territory, has expressed the intention to eventually seek reunification, right? So we already know that their final intentions um, are to claim back that territory. But the U.S. maintains that the State Department calls um, what well, they call a, a, a robust, unofficial relationship with Taiwan. Uh, and it's important to note that Taiwan is a democratic island, right, of about 23 million people. And the U.S. has long kept the policy of, let's say, strategic ambiguity towards the, 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 the China-Taiwan issue, recognizing the one China principle. And what is the one China principle? Well, the one China principle is the position held by the People's Republic of China that there's only one sovereign state under the name China with the, the, the PRC serving as the sole legitimate government of that China. And Taiwan is part of China, plain and simple. So China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, is condemning this Pelosi visit as a serious violation of the one China principle. So if you're going to go back and look at the position they're taking, uh, you know, China is going to make Taiwan pay for it. it, it and li listen, I just hope it doesn't play out into another Russia-Ukraine war because we have already seen furious Beijing retaliate. Um, you know, they consider Taiwan a sovereign territory, and they're fee they're fiercely opposing um, this trip. And now they've already started the live fire drills and the missile tests in the region. They suspended Taiwanese imports of citrus fruit and horse mackerel buck, and that those are vital to to the economy and really the exports of sand. And that's the big crippling one. They they started to sanction exports of sand. So that's vital for the construction industry on the island. And then further, we had a massive cyber attack that researchers linked 
the Chinese hacktivists, so to speak, also briefly down the, the Taiwanese presidential office website. And still, Pelosi was unapologetic, and she basically is saying that you know the, the, the world faces a choice between democracy and autocracy. But what about what you just instigated? What about what you just started? Because we have yet to see the effects of this trip, and it's not gonna be nice. Zen, thanks for the perspective, good to see you. Thank you, Buck. Wannabe robber tries to hold up a convenience store, but is met with an 80-year-old standing his ground, practicing his Second Amendment rights. Yeah, that's right. We'll talk about that and more in Quick Hits up next. A would-be convenience store robber sees what instant justice is like, and who was the ultimate winner of the $1.28 billion Mega Millions jackpot? The IRS. Time for tonight's Quick Hits. Uh, let's start with this. Look, if, if you show up and you threaten someone's life with a firearm because you want to steal from them, they have every right to use a firearm or whatever means at their disposal, including lethal force, to defend themselves. You cannot wave a gun in someone's face, threaten to kill them, steal from them, and not expect that they will exercise their right to self-defense if they are capable of doing so. Well, this 80-year-old who was being, well, was about to be robbed at a convenience store. They didn't actually manage to get the robbery off. Well, he decided to open up with a shotgun against an AR-15 wielding assailant would-be armed robber. Watch this. Strategically tucked behind the counter, Cope whipped out his hidden shotgun and blasted the suspect in the arm. As the man took off, another camera captured this. The suspects, after nearly leaving one of their own behind, sped off in a black BMW X3. Shot him in the arm. Moral of the story, well, actually two morals of the story. One, practice your Second Amendment rights, learn to defend yourself and defend yourself if and when you are faced with such a, uh, such a, uh, such a situation. Also, uh, don't rob people. Don't rob people. Wrong. Bad. You might get shot, too. This was quite a tweet. Uh, the winner of the $1.28 billion lottery is going to get, according to Forbes, $433 million after taxes. So congrats to the IRS, this account said. Uh, I can't read it from here, but on winning $846 million. Just a reminder, folks. Man, the government takes its cut, and its cut is big. Its cut is a... Uh, big chunk. It's not just like a little bit, not a little nibble around the edges. It's more than half in a situation like this. Taking a lot of cash from folks. So yeah, the IRS. And don't forget that the Manchin-Schumer bill that's trying to get finished right now, they're trying to push it through, would uh, expand the IRS and demands the IRS takes about $120 billion from the uh, taxpayer, additionally to what they're already paying. In case you feel like you don't get, you're not getting taxed enough, remember the Democrats' answer to their crappy economic policies is let's just audit more people. Let's just put people through more audits, more sleepless nights, more anxiety dealing with the tax man who's already just taking, taking, taking a massive tax code that no person who isn't steep in their profession of being a CPA, being a tax, uh, tax uh, advisor or a, a professional accountant is going to know how to do. It's just crazy. Jean Pierre, she is uh, a constitutional scholar. Did you know this? She's not, but she weighs in on the Constitution. The results are not good. Watch. 
from day one when uh, when the Supreme Court made this extreme decision uh, to take away a, a constitutional right. Uh, it was an unconstitutional, unconstitutional action by them, a right that was around for almost 50 years, a right that women had to make a decision on their bodies and how they want to start their families. It's not unconstitutional. It's very much constitutional. This is what the Supreme Court does. They look at things and they decide whether or not other decisions in the past were in fact in keeping with the Constitution. So to call it unconstitutional, to call what they did unconstitutional doesn't really make any sense from a process standpoint. And then on the actual legal merits, no intelligent, honest person thinks that there's a right to abortion in the Constitution uh, ratified in the late 18th century by the American colonies. And then, yeah, I don't think so. Then, of course, the state. Joe Rogan reacts to the Biden administration changing the definition of a recession. Watch this one. People would think that it's trivial because they are talking about this economic downturn, but it's not trivial because we've always used that term recession. And we've always used that term to define whether or not the economic policies that are currently in place and whether or not the management and the government has done a good job of making sure that the economy stays in a good place. It's, they definitely haven't done that. So in order to escape that, in, you know, that sort of distinction, they're literally changing the definition, which is terrible. And it should be pushed back against in a big way. It should, it should be something that people get angry about. Like, hey, you're f***ing with definitions in order to pretend that you're doing a good job. Yep. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News of Bill O'Reilly is next. Fields high. Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to improving the lives of America's veterans, first responders, and their families. For over 20 years, the foundation has helped America keep its solemn promise to never forget. Tunnel to Towers provides mortgage-free homes to Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders with young children and builds specially adapted smart homes for catastrophically injured veterans, as well as work to eradicate veteran homelessness. David Marshall served in the Army during World War II and fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He's never forgotten the sacrifices of his comrades-in-arms, nor the efforts of first responders on 9-11 and in the days and months that followed. He is a loyal and proud Foundation donor. Tunnel to Towers is committed to supporting veterans, first responders, and their families, and so many of them need your help. Join the Foundation on its mission to do good and never forget. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. 
Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 